Okay, John 14. And as we uh, start, I guess, going to a close, we've got three lessons, including today, left on our study. Uh, looking at how Jesus talked to various people. And today we're going to be looking at how Jesus talked to his friends. And specifically, when you look at the context of John 14, John 14 is in the upper room. It's uh, part of the what is typically called the uh, upper room discourse. And so we're talking to the disciples, 11 disciples, because where has Judas gone? Judas has gone to begin the work of the betrayal. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But these are his closest friends. He's been with them, what, three years? Close to three years, right? Day in, day out, talking, uh, working together, going various places across Judea, Samaria, Galilee. He spent a lot of time with these men. <clears throat> and so today, I want to look at how did Jesus interact with his closest friends <clears throat> And then see what we can learn from how he talked to them. What, what, what can we learn when we talk to our closest friends? Now, did these disciples get everything he was teaching? They didn't, did that. And so... You know, they acknowledged who he was. When you think about Matthew 16, what did Peter confess? That he was the Christ, right? Matthew 16. And even three of them, when you get to Matthew 17, saw his transfiguration. But did they get it? They didn't get everything he was teaching. Do we get everything we're taught? We don't. And so, you know, as we come from different perspectives, we may have a different perspective or take on a passage. And so we may have different spiritual conversations. So how would we talk to one another as we try to work toward a common understanding of the scriptures because when you look at Ephesians 3, verse 4, we can understand the scripture. And so through these conversations that we have, we can get to that common understanding and then move toward the unity that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. And so I hope some of the things that we'll talk about today will help us think about how can we then talk with our closest believing friends, and I'm going to, you know, Christians, how can we talk to one another, talk to others, so that we have a better understanding of the scripture? Also, you know, as I was reading John 14, I, I thought about 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy, as Paul is closing out the book, in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 
All scripture is inspired of God, by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. When you move on into chapter 4, specifically verse 2, he's, he's instructing Timothy to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, rebuke exhort with great patience and instruction. Is that applicable? Is this passage applicable only to preachers? Mm -mm. It's really applicable to all of us as we have those spiritual conversations with each other. And we, what we see in this passage, when you think about the fact that Jesus has been with these men for three years and they're still not getting it, what does that say about us? When we're having conversations with people, with our friends, and after three years, they're still not connecting the dots. Think about what Paul is telling Timothy. We do this with great patience and instruction. We don't give up. We continue to just a little chip away, chip away a little bit at a time, hoping and praying that as we have those spiritual conversations with one another, that we all come to that better understanding. And so while my thoughts today, as we go through this passage or through the, the, the text of John 14, I'm going to frame it within the, the context of us having conversations with other Christians, believing Christians. But as I think about the topic I don't think there's anything that, any pearls of wisdom that I might impart this morning that wouldn't be applicable to other religious people to try to help them have a better, more perfect understanding of the scripture. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay. I didn't see any heads nodding, but I'm going to assume you got it and I'm, I can move on. So. As we talk about this lesson, well, why is it not working? Yeah, it's on. Ah, I don't know if I did it or Lee did it. Did you do it? I did it. Okay, so I guess it's working. So, just to refresh our memory, there are key principles that we need to think about as we are looking at John 14. As we have looked at the other passages, and that is John was always prepared to teach, and different approaches are required now. In this case, in John 14, Jesus is teaching, and there are questions or statements that are then raised by the people he's talking to. And so questions that these are statements that these uh, men raise or state then provide an opportunity for Jesus to provide instruction to do uh, to help them to understand again I think I said this in an earlier class if not me maybe Bill it was Bill but questions provide opportunity for us to answer right? provide opportunity for us to teach. 
So we never want to miss those opportunities to respond when questions are raised. I mean, it's an open door. You know, let's open the door and put our foot in and answer the question. So um, the other thing, again, point three, is our teaching must always be rooted in God's word. And in today's lesson, several times Jesus, you know, provides instructions or reminders and then says, you know, I've told you this. When you think about 2 Peter, the first chapter, Peter's departure is imminent. That's what he says. But what does he do? He says, my, my departure is imminent, but the, there are things I want to remind you of. Even though you know it, I want to remind you. And that's what Jesus does here in John 14. He's reminding his disciples, his apostles, of certain things he's already taught them. Now, maybe they didn't get it. Maybe they did get it. But he's reminding them. Do we need reminders? What does Jesus time and time and time again compare us to? Sheep. Now, are sheep one of the most intelligent animals on the face of the earth? No. They're, I'm told, not that I'm an expert by any means, on anything agricultural or tech for that matter, uh, that sheep are pretty dumb. So just keep that in mind. So we need constant reminders. And again, as we've indicated before, we must always have love and compassion in the conversations that we have. And as I've indicated before, earlier just now, Jesus obviously had great patience because he is repeating some things. He's continuing to teach, even though after three years they're not getting some core concepts that they should have gotten. But I can't be too difficult, can we? Because our, do we get everything that we're taught? No. So with that said, let's go quickly move along. And I want to go ahead and this is not my clicker. This is. I want to go ahead and look at the context of the passage that we're going to be looking at real briefly, real quickly. It is Thursday evening. It's only hours before Jesus himself will be betrayed, will be arrested, will be tried, will be crucified. Just hours. They're in the upper room. They've observed the Passover. And he has instituted the Lord's Supper. If you recall, going back to Luke, the 22nd chapter, there's been this conflict going on with some of the apostles about who's the greatest. John 13, Jesus does what? He set, uh, sets an example of how we ought to serve each other through his example of what? Washing the feet of the disciples. Okay? At the end, or toward the middle to end of John 13, he reveals that Judas is the one that's going to betray him. Judas gets up and leaves to start that work. The apostles don't get it. They don't know why he left. They're presuming, in fact, in John 20, uh, 13, verse 29 and 30, that he's got some other business to take care of. But they don't think anything ill, necessarily, of it. Then Jesus says he's going to be leaving. 
his departure is imminent, and uh, so he begins to talk about that. And in verse 36 of John 13, Peter says, where I go, uh, excuse me, Jesus says, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. You know, they're all gung-ho. And Jesus then says, you're going to deny me three times before the cock even crows the next morning. He then goes back and discusses more about his departure. He says, it's to your advantage that I go. I need to go. You know, don't be troubled. So notice here he begins to comfort his apostles. And that's important as we look at the three questions in today's lesson. He begins to comfort his apostles about his departure because it's necessary, because he needs to go and prepare a place. And notice in verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Did they get it? They didn't understand what he was saying. Even though, if you go back to Matthew 16, let's go ahead and just turn really quickly to Matthew 16. Even after Peter confesses uh, who Peter is, uh, who Jesus is, notice in Matthew 16, verse 21, from that time Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and be raised up on the third day. Ties very nicely in with what he's just saying in John 14, 1 through 3. And, and, and Jesus is saying this all the time. This is in Matthew 16, 21. Notice it's from that time indicating that this was a message he was continually giving his disciples about what was coming, they did not get it. And so, you know, he's saying, and you know the way where I'm going, I mean, he's talked about it. But that statement then prompts a question by Thomas. Hey, where are you going? You know, I, I, I want to I go with you. And so let's look then at Thomas's question. And so in verse 5, Lord... We do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And so, you know, from his perspective... He's thinking physical. He's still not getting all this thing that's more spiritually focused. He's thinking Jesus is going to, I don't know, Galilee, Jerusalem, or you know, some physical place. And he's wanting to go. He's wanting to be with Jesus. And you know, when you look at it from that perspective, isn't that where we want to go to? 
Isn't that where we want to be, is with Jesus? Don't we want to be perfectly aligned with him? And that's really, you know, Thomas is thinking physical. Jesus is speaking spiritual. But the core, if you peel back the layers of that onion, Thomas's question basically is, should be our question. I want to be with you. I want to know the way. How do we know the way? Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus responds by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, and I'm going to probably repeat some things that I, I stated when I taught John 14 about a year and a half ago, if you recall that. Like, maybe it's like, okay, I'm talking about people needing reminders. So I guess I'm going to remind you about a couple of things that I taught or stated back a year and a half ago. When we look at the way, the truth, and the life. Did you notice I capitalized the what does the mean versus a? Singular. Singular. Specificity. Specificity. Yes. It is, he is the way, the truth, the life. Now, I'm just going to tell you, we live in a very PC culture. Do you know what I'm talking about? PC, politically correct culture. And we live in a culture that wants, uh, you know, diversity inclusion. Now, in the, in pro, the, yes, in certain places, in certain situations, that would be appropriate. But when we come to the gospel, to things spiritual, there's no DNI. Christianity is exclusive. And so Jesus is telling in a uh, reassuring method, like a, like a father might uh, console or comfort a child who is disturbed. He is trying to instruct very passionately that he is the answer. He is the way. There is only one way. So we need to not be sucked in to this concept of my way, your way, any way is acceptable. We're all on the same path. We're just going different. Well, we're going toward the same goal. We're just on. Di- we're taking different paths. This is not Central Park. This is the path to eternal life. And so when you talk about truth. Is it a truth? It is the truth. Meaning, again, exclusivity. There is only one truth. And then when you think about life, Jesus is the only means by which we can have eternal life. Think about Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else other than Jesus Christ. When you think about Ephesians, the second chapter, Jesus is the door, is the access to the Father. He's the means by which Jew and Gentile have a means to, to uh, get to the Father, to be one. And so Jesus is uh, very reassuringly 
but in, uh, very forcefully telling Thomas that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And he's the way by which man gets to the Father. Now notice then he provides some instruction in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And so, you know, you, you, you can't separate this idea of truth, life, and uh, the way. I, and when I read this and was and was connecting it to this idea of seeing the Father, I couldn't help but think of Second uh, John nine because what does Second John nine indicate? Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, so you're not within the way, you're not within truth. If you go too far, you do not abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. But the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So you want to get to the Father, you want to connect and see the Father, then you stay on the way, the truth, and the life, and you will see, uh, you will see the Father. Now, this concept of seeing the Father then raises a, another a statement or a question. It's more of a statement, but you sort of see the the wheels turning on the part of uh, Philip. And so, as we go through the balance of John fourteen. One of the things I really want you to do is not look at it from as three individual questions, but we need to look at John 14 as one continual conversation. And for those maybe who work in uh, the business world or uh, even in school or whatever, consider that you have someone who is instructing and a statement prompts a question, the hands raise, right? If you're in a classroom, oh, I don't understand, you know, I, I have a question. Or I want to make a comment. That's really what's happening. So as he, he responds to Thomas's question, then that prompts a question or a statement by Philip. Well, then as he responds to Philip, at the very end, whoop, that raises a question by Judas or Thaddeus. Depends on who, you know. But look at it as one big, long conversation. Okay? So, so Jesus in verse 7, you know, talks about this is now. You're going to be able to see the Father. Philip, whoop, Philip says, Comment said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus said, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, 
but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also. The greater works than these shall, shall he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more. But you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. In that day, you shall know that I'm in my fa- I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by the Father. And I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. And then there's the question that Judas raises. Okay, so let's look at Philip for a second. And whereas with Thomas's question, Jesus is more coming at it from an assurance perspective. He's comforting, he's instructing with Philip, when, when you look at the, the, the verse, what, 9, 10, maybe into 11, there's some rebu- rebuke going on here. Again, it goes back to the fact that, what more do I have to say? What more do I have to tell you? So there is some level of rebuke, but then there's some logical instruction here. And you know... Um, as I've indicated in some other lessons, our instruction, our teaching needs to be a logical, you know, have logic behind it. So Jesus does that. And then there is some assurance. So notice how Jesus is navigating this group of 11 men and he's using various methods or ways to communicate a message based upon the question, based upon the person. So I think that's interesting how he does that uh, so adeptly. And that's a lesson for us as we talk to others. So so going back to verse 9, 10, and 11, clearly as I read it, there's, there's a rebuke here. Again, you know, How long have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? You know, we've been together three years, and you're not getting the fact that my father and I are one. And so he moves on to say, you know, if you're struggling with this, then consider the evidence of all the works that I've done. I think that's the point here in verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of my works. So if you're struggling with understanding that 
I and my Father are one, we're unified, then let me present <laughs> Exhibit A, all the works that I have done over the last three years, the miracles. And the most powerful miracle just recently occurred within the last three months, one that we looked at a couple weeks ago, the raising of Lazarus. Okay? My works should provide the evidence that is needed. Now, so he then moves to this, con this idea of verse in verse 15. I want to focus on this. Now, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This idea that if you love me, you keep my commandments. If you don't keep my commandments, do you love me? How can you say you love me and not obey me? Think about, um, I guess, First, uh, first Peter 3.15, I guess, comes to mind uh, in, in a way that if we consider Jesus Lord... Master, Christ, the anointed one of God, and we sanctify him in our hearts, how can we do that if we're not willing to obey him? The two are connected, that you cannot separate the two. And so he's making that statement. And it goes back and connects to the fact that when I'm gone, the works that you do are the works that I have done. Notice in verse 12, uh, sort of connected to this idea of believing on, based on the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall, do, shall he do, because I go to the Father. So these works that I have done, you're going to be doing them. You're going to be obeying my commandments if you love me. And then, uh, you know, that makes me think of Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 10. Because in Ephesians 2nd chapter verse 10, what are we to do? Are we not his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? So there are things that we should do as Christians. That is the work that we do. That's the work that God expects us. That's the work that Jesus expects us. And he says, if you love me, you're going to do those. But then toward the end of his, uh, his comments to Philip, notice what he says. You know, verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. So again, you're that assurance, that compassion, if you will. And he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And it connects back to verse 17 uh, and 16. I'm going to send you the helper. And he's going to be with you forever. 
He's going to uh, uh, be with you, support you. Notice in verse 17, that spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That spirit of truth, the one who has given us the word, that is going to be with us forever. And so, yeah, I'm leaving, but that helper is going to be with you. And so he's trying to make sure that they understand that they're not going to be alone. They're not going to be on their own. And so he's instructing them through this compassionate uh, uh, means. Bill. Um, one, of, one of the things that I was thinking of uh, when you were talking initially about him uh, sort of rebuking is uh, in uh, Proverbs 27, mm -hmm. verse, um, Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, mm -hmm. but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So a friend sometimes is going to have to, if we're talking to a friend, sometimes you may have to jab at somebody. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You, you do it with the right intent. Mm -hmm. You know, J Jesus is not... You know, rebuking to use your word in a way to say, "Ha ha, I got you, and I get away from yeah. me." He, he's saying, "Look, this is this is going to hurt a little bit, but I'm going to be direct with you because right now, especially in their life right now, this is important. You need to yeah. listen to me, yeah. rather than saying, you know, they're there, Philip. It's all going to be okay.' Um, yeah, things like that. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because you know, looking back to Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, that's really the idea. Uh, that Paul is trying to convey to, to Timothy, an evangelist. You know, you know, Timothy, you're not out to get. Ah, you're wrong. But that rebuking is intended to have the, the result of that Christian correcting uh, a, you know, actions, belief, whatever, to become more aligned with Christ. So, time is getting away. I want to quickly go into Judas and make a couple of uh, comments. And so, notice at the end of verse 21, uh, Jesus says, And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Ah, got a question. Question. Judas asking, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? So, so then the question becomes, you know, what, what's going to happen? Why, why are you going to show yourself to us and not to everybody? And so notice what Jesus, how Jesus responds in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. Who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken while abiding with you. So again, he's going by way of reminder, reminders of things that he has taught them in the past. That loving me equals keeping my word. I'm going to use the mathematical uh, symbols. I hope that's okay. I'm not mathematically inclined, but I thought I would go out on the skinny branch and try so keeping me equals lo loving me equals keeping my word equals God loving him. Do you see the connection? So if we love Jesus, God will love us. We will obey his commandments. 
if we don't obey the commandments, this equation falls, right? And then notice what he says, the, uh, my word, you know, if you don't love me, you don't keep my words, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's. So what's the implication here? They're going to hear something, but what are they going to hear from the Father? Rebuke, judgment, basically, okay? And, uh, you know, I sort of uh, thought of John 12. We won't, just for sake of time, I don't want to go there, but when you look at John 12, verses 47 through 49, you get this idea of the judgment that the, the one who doesn't keep the word will, uh, will hear. So, going on to, to Jesus' reply, but... The helper, and then he identifies who the helper is, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So, the helper will come and will teach. So he's providing some additional instruction, trying to comfort these disciples, these apostles, as they try to wrap around in their head that Jesus is leaving. Again, he makes a connection back to the helper that, you know, when I'm gone, this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come. He will teach you all things. Will he teach them just part of truth? He's going to teach all things, connected to then... 1 Peter 1.3, God has given us all things that pertains to life and godliness. So, we see that all things will come. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Again, the message is one of comfort, one of assurance. What kind of peace are we talking about? You know, there's a lot of focus on peace between nations and peace between people. But the peace that exists between us and God takes precedence over all of that. And that's the peace that Jesus is focused on. And that's the peace that Jesus is able to give us. Think again, Ephesians, the second chapter. <clears throat> so, moving on. You heard... Oh, so let me, let me go back to uh, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Hey, guys, you got this? We're going to take care of you. So I'm just going to say this. God's going to take care of us, won't he? Does that mean we're going to be absent of hard times? No. Think about the apostles and all the difficulties and hardships that they encountered. But Jesus assures them, don't, don't fear and don't be troubled. And so you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Again, there's some reminders. Remember, I've told you, if you... If if you really understood what I, the message I was giving, you would have rejoiced 
because you would have understood that the very mission that I have is one that requires me to leave, I'm going to return, going back to his resurrection. The very fact that he died and God raised him from the dead then defeats Satan and allows us to defeat Satan as well to be raised. So he's saying, men, you should be rejoicing over what, we're, what I'm doing, why I must go. Verse 29, and now I have told you before it comes to pass that when it comes to pass, you may believe. So some instruction here. So I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, <clears throat> they recognize it as happening. They can take comfort in it. So he's instructing them not to fear that I'm going to be with this, uh, my father <clears throat> and that when you see all of these things come to pass, you may believe. And what do we see the apostles doing when all of this happens? When Jesus uh, is crucified, where are they? They scatter like sheep. When Jesus is raised from the dead, the light bulbs come on. And so, and when Acts 2 happens, what are they able to do? Boldly proclaim the gospel. They have figured it out. Now, do they know it all? No, you can look at Peter's uh, message in Acts 2, and he talks about the fact that all men will be saved, but did they, did Peter get it? No. Jesus, uh, God had to send, Jesus had to send the, the vision for him to be willing to go to, to teach Cornelius. So they still don't get everything, just like we don't get everything. But they're, they're able to connect the important dots of Jesus' mission. And so through these various methods of reminders of, of instruction, of words of comfort, words of assurance. Jesus is imparting the you know, powerful messages that these men are going to need in just a few hours because of everything that's about to happen to Jesus. Okay? I think I have one minute left. Um, any comments? I sort of babbled on for 40 minutes. Okay, one minute, time's ticking. Okay, uh, next week I think Bill is teaching and then I'll wrap up in the last uh, session in this uh, series of the week after. Thank you.